Part 1 Quarter, Forecasting TAI with Biological Anchors by IAEA Kotra. Overview, Conceptual Foundations, and Runtime Computation. Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and IA communities into audio. This is Part 1 of Forecasting TAI with Biological Anchors, published by IAEA Kotra. Part 1 Overview, Conceptual Foundations, and Runtime Computation. This report emerged from discussions with our technical advisors Dario Amade and Paul Cristiano. However, it should not be treated as representative of either of their views, the project eventually broadened considerably, and my conclusions are my own. This is a work in progress and does not represent Open Philanthropy's institutional view. We are making it public to make it easier to gather feedback, to help inform others thinking in the effective altruism community, and to allow for follow-on work outside of Open Phil. However, we may edit it substantially in the future as we gather feedback from a broader audience and investigate open questions. Accordingly we have not done an official publication or blog post, and would prefer for now that people not share it widely in a low bandwidth way, for example just posting key graphics on Facebook or Twitter. The report has been divided into four Google Docs to load faster. This is part one, the second part is here, the third part is here, and the fourth part is here. Additional materials, collected in this folder. Quantitative model the Python notebook biological anchor hypotheses for 2020 training computation requirements, a template spreadsheet when required computation may be affordable, and my best guess, conservative, and aggressive forecasts. Supplemental materials a document containing various appendices, a folder of figures for the report, the spreadsheet extrapolations of data and compute to train models, and the Python notebook compute price trends, which draws on data in this folder. Open philanthropy, OpenPhil, is a grant-making organization whose mission is to do as much good as possible per dollar. One of our major focus areas is technical research and policy work aimed at reducing potential risks from advanced AI. In this focus area, we aim to anticipate and influence the development and deployment of transformative artificial intelligence, TAI, which we informally define as software, a computer program or collection of computer programs, that has at least as profound an impact on the world's trajectory as the Industrial Revolution did, See below for a more detailed description of TAI and the relationship between TAI and the concept of artificial general intelligence or AGI. The question of when, if ever, software will have had a transformative impact, which we refer to as TAI timelines, is crucial for how we should prioritize between potential risks from advanced AI and other focus areas, as well as what interventions we should prioritize within the AI focus area. One salient path to TAI is to train a large machine learning model that is capable of causing such a dramatic transformation by itself, for example by quickly and cheaply automating a very wide array of economically valuable labor simultaneously, which I will call a transformative model. In this report, I, IAEA Kotra, propose a framework for estimating when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model may become affordable, which is one important consideration relevant to estimating the probability that some entity trains a transformative model. Some basic terms. This section introduces basic terms related to machine learning ML and computer hardware. People familiar with ML can skip this section. Machine learning usually means using a lot of trial and error to create a model, a computer program, that accomplishes a certain task, such as classifying images. Typically we start with a model that is very bad at the task, for example one which takes as input an image and spits out a classification entirely at random, and then iteratively adjusts that model using a learning algorithm. First, the model tries classifying an image, say it guesses that a particular image is a dog. If the image was of a dog, the learning algorithm tweaks the model so that it's slightly more likely to label similar-looking images as dogs. If it wasn't a dog, 
the learning algorithm tweaks the model so it's slightly less likely to label similar looking images as dogs. Eventually, after enough rounds of attempting to classify an image and tweaking the model, the model gets to be good at image classification. The process by which an initial model is improved through this kind of trial and error is called training. It often takes a lot of examples, also called samples or data points, to train a model until it's competent at the relevant task. In the case of an image classification model, it may take millions or tens of millions of images. Reinforcement learning is a type of machine learning. Rather than attempting a discrete task such as classifying an image and then learning whether the attempt was correct, a reinforcement learning model is acting in an environment, for example playing StarCraft, and receives intermittent rewards which will be larger, on average, if the model is performing better. Over time, the model is iteratively adjusted using a learning algorithm to take actions that maximize expected reward. Neural networks are one broad category of machine learning models. Many recent advances in image classification, game playing, and language modeling were accomplished using very large-scale neural networks, also called deep neural networks. They are capable of representing a very broad class of functions. Neural networks are characterized by a large set of numbers called parameters. The learning algorithm tweaks a neural network by changing these parameter values. Hardware power, how much useful work a computer does per unit time, is commonly measured in terms of floating point operations per second or flop s. Larger models run on hardware that performs more flop s. In my report, I also use floating point operations or flop to measure total computation. A flop is equivalent to one addition, subtraction, multiplication, or division of two decimal numbers. Training a larger model generally takes more total flop. I deal with very large numbers, particularly large numbers of training flop, throughout this write-up, so I generally use scientific notation. For example, 1e6 refers to 1 million or 1 million, 1e15 refers to 1 quadrillion, which is 11,015, or 1 quadrillion, 1e16 is 10 times larger than 1e15, 1e17 is 100 times larger than 1e15, and so on. Overview of the framework and estimates. This is a relatively terse outline of the entire argument. It introduces key concepts and figures with only brief explanation, and may be hard to follow for non-technical readers. The main report provides a slower and more detailed explanation. I first generate a subjective probability distribution over how much computation it would take to train a transformative model if we had to do it imminently, using 2020 ML architectures and algorithms. I call this the 2020 Training Computation Requirements Distribution, see here for a more precise definition and discussion of this concept. I measure training computation in floating point operations or FLOP. I use this Python notebook to generate the 2020 training computation requirements distribution. To estimate the probability that the computation to train a transformative model is affordable in future years, I then model three additional considerations how training computation requirements are likely to fall over time due to algorithmic progress, how the amount of computation available for a given price is likely to increase over time due to falling computation prices, and how the amount of money an AI project is willing to spend on computation to train a potentially transformative model would increase over time. For each future year Y, the year-Y training computation requirements distribution can be calculated by modifying the 2020 training computation requirements distribution according to the algorithmic progress forecast to place greater probability on low levels of computation. 
The amount of total computation that would be available for training a transformative model in year Y can be calculated by multiplying the forecast for how much computation can be purchased per dollar in year Y with the forecast for how many dollars an AI project would be willing to spend on computation in year Y. The probability that the amount of computation required to train a transformative model is affordable in year Y is the probability that the second quantity exceeds the first quantity. This is modeled in this Google Sheet. The 2020 training computation requirements distribution is the most uncertain of the four key quantities, and most of my research to date has focused on it. In the rest of this overview, I describe how I generate my 2020 training computation requirements distribution, more how I generate forecasts of algorithmic progress, computation prices, and willingness to spend on computation, and use them to estimate when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model may be affordable, more how I think about the translation from when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model is affordable to when TAI may be developed, more. 2020 Training Computation Requirements Distribution To estimate training computation requirements, I focus on one particularly salient vision of a transformative model a model that can perform a large majority of economically valuable jobs more cheaply than human workers can. I see the human brain as an existence proof found in nature for this type of transformative model, so I use evidence from biology to help estimate the computation needed to train it. Additionally, while some possible transformative models may only automate a relatively narrow set of highly valuable jobs, I think the computation required to train a relatively human-like model is a reasonable proxy for the computation required to train any kind of transformative model. See here for more discussion of this. This leads me to use a biological anchors framework to estimate training computation requirements for a transformative model. I first lay out four hypotheses about 2020 training computation requirements, each of which anchors on a key quantity estimated from biology total computation done over evolution, total computation done over a human lifetime, the computational power of the human brain, and the amount of information in the human genome, more. Then, I associate each biological anchor hypothesis with a conditional probability distribution representing what 2020 training computation requirements would be if that hypothesis were entirely correct, more. The lifetime anchor hypothesis estimates that a median of approximately 1e29 flop will be required by anchoring on the amount of flop done in a human lifetime. The evolution anchor hypothesis estimates a median of approximately 1e41 flop will be required by anchoring on the amount of flop done over the course of evolution. The neural network hypothesis extrapolates, from existing models, the amount of computation required to train a neural network whose size is anchored to the human brain, estimating somewhere between approximately 1E32 flop and approximately 1E37 flop depending on how long the model would need to run to process one data point. The genome anchor hypothesis uses a similar extrapolation but anchors to the number of bytes in the human genome to estimate parameter count, resulting in a median of approximately 1E33 flop. Some hypotheses predict that we should have already been able to afford to train a transformative model with reasonable probability. I think this is unlikely, so I execute an update against low levels of flop, more. Finally, I assign probabilities to the different hypotheses to produce a mixture distribution representing my overall belief about 2020 training computation requirements, more. In the Python notebook, I follow the above steps to generate the distribution shown below. Articulating biological anchor hypotheses. I consider four high-level biological anchor hypotheses for the amount of computation that would be required to train a transformative model using 2020 architectures and algorithms. All of them rely, directly or indirectly, on an estimate of the amount of computation performed by the human brain, measured in floating-point operations per second, flop s. 
the question of whether there is a sensible notion of brain computation that can be measured in flop s, and if so, what range of numerical estimates for brain flop s would be reasonable, is conceptually fraught and empirically murky. I lean heavily on a detailed investigation into this topic conducted by my colleague Joe Carlsmith. For the purposes of this report, I use the following definition of brain flop s. Suppose we redo evolutionary history at the point when neurons first emerged, but in every animal we replace each neuron with n floating point units that each perform one flop per second. For what value of n do we still get roughly human-level intelligence over a similar evolutionary timescale? Under this definition, my median estimate for human brain computation is approximately 1e15 flop s. See here for more detail on this definition and my subjective distribution over brain flop s. The first two biological anchor hypotheses estimate the total flop that would be required to train a transformative model by anchoring to the total flop done over the course of a naturally occurring training process. Evolution anchor this hypothesis states that before examining detailed evidence, we should assume on priors that training computation requirements will resemble the amount of computation done over the course of evolution from the earliest animals with neurons to modern humans, because we should expect our architectures and optimization algorithms to be about as efficient as natural selection. This hypothesis anchors to evolution computation, approximately 1e41 flop, and adjusts by a relatively modest factor to account for qualitative considerations about how sophisticated our architectures and algorithms seem to be as of 2020. Lifetime anchor this hypothesis states that we should assume on priors that training computation requirements will resemble the amount of computation done by a child's brain over the course of growing to be an adult, because we should expect our architectures and optimization algorithms to be about as efficient as human learning. This hypothesis anchors to lifetime computation, approximately 1e24 flop, and adjusts from this anchor by a relatively modest constant factor to account for qualitative considerations about how sophisticated our architectures and algorithms seem to be as of 2020. The final two hypotheses use a biological anchor to estimate the size of a transformative model, rather than to directly estimate training flop. Both hypotheses state that we should anchor to human brain flop s to estimate the flop per subjective second performed by a transformative model. By subjective second, I mean the amount of elapsed real time that a model would take to process as much data, for example words, sounds, images, in serial as a typical human can process in one second. For example, a typical human reads about three to four words per second for non-technical material, so one subjective second for a language model would correspond to however much time that the model takes to process about approximately three to four words of data. If it runs on 1,000 times as many flop s as the human brain, but also processes 3,000 to 4,000 words per second, it would be performing about as many flop per subjective second as a human. Throughout, I will abbreviate flop per subjective second as flop, sub-second. The final two hypotheses differ only in how they generate an estimate for the number of parameters required to characterize a transformative model. Neural network this hypothesis states that we should assume on priors that a transformative model would perform roughly as many flop, sub-second as the human brain, approximately 1e15 flop s, and have about as many parameters as we would expect if we simply scaled up the architectures of the largest current neural networks to run on that many flop, sub-second. It adjusts from the anchor point of human brain flop s by a relatively modest constant factor to account for qualitative considerations about how sophisticated our architectures seem to be as of 2020, and estimates parameter count by assuming that a transformative model would have a similar ratio of computation to parameters as the most expensive neural networks we have trained so far. It then extrapolates the amount of flop required to train such a model using an empirically derived scaling law that expresses training data as a function of parameter count. 
Genome Anchor This hypothesis states that we should assume on priors that a transformative model would run on roughly as many flop, subsecond as the human brain and have about as many parameters as there are bytes in the human genome, approximately 7.5 E8 bytes. This hypothesis adjusts from the anchor points of human brain flop S and human genome parameters by a relatively modest constant factor to account for qualitative considerations about how sophisticated our architectures seem to be as of 2020, and uses the same extrapolation as the neural network hypothesis to estimate training flop. Generating conditional training computation requirements distributions. For each biological anchor hypothesis, I generate a probability distribution representing what that hypothesis would predict about the amount of flop sufficient to train a transformative model in 2020. Below I cover how I generate lifetime anchor and evolution anchor distributions, and a brief summary of my quantitative estimates for each, more how I generate distributions for the neural network and genome anchor hypotheses, and a brief summary of my quantitative estimates for these, more for the lifetime anchor and evolution anchor hypotheses. To estimate the 2020 training computation requirements for the evolution anchor hypothesis and the lifetime anchor hypothesis, I multiply two factors. The anchor distribution, a probability distribution over the relevant biological anchor, i.e., how much computation was performed over the course of evolution or over the course of a human lifetime, respectively. The adjustment distribution, a probability distribution that describes how many times larger or smaller 2020 training computation requirements could be compared to evolution computation or lifetime computation, respectively. In the case of the lifetime anchor hypothesis, I took the anchor distribution to be the number of total flop that a human brain performs in its first 1 billion seconds, i.e. up to age approximately 32. My median estimate is, 1e15 flop s, 1e9 seconds equals 1e24 flop. I chose the adjustment distribution to have a median of approximately 300M, because of, models we currently train already require approximately 300M more data than humans, b, manufacturing costs of natural artifacts tend to be approximately 3-500M lower than manufacturing costs of human goods, and c, human babies are likely born with various priors that we must instead train. This distribution is right skewed, resulting in a median of approximately 3E27 flop slightly more than 300 and larger than the anchor. This is then adjusted upward to approximately 1E29 after updating against low-end flop. See here for more detail. In the case of the evolution anchor hypothesis, I estimated the anchor distribution to be approximately 1E41 flop, by assuming about 1 billion years of evolution from the earliest neurons and multiplying by the average population size and average brain flop s of our evolutionary ancestors. I did not shift away from this anchor, resulting in a distribution centered around approximately 1E41 flop. See here for more detail. For the genome anchor and neural network hypotheses. Generating distributions conditional on the neural network and genome anchor hypotheses is more complicated, because the relevant biological anchors don't directly refer to the total flop required to carry out an optimization or learning process that occurs in nature. Instead, we must estimate and multiply two different factors a distribution over the number of flop that a transformative model would perform per subjective second of data, f, according to the hypothesis. A distribution over the total amount of data required to train the model, t, expressed in subjective seconds, a unit of data corresponding to the amount of information that a typical human can process in one second. That is, the total training flop is given by train flop equals f flop subsecond x t subsecond of training. The flop per subjective second F, is simply the product of an anchor distribution and an adjustment distribution, as above both hypotheses anchor to human brain flop S. 
As I mentioned above, my median estimate for human brain flop S is approximately 1 E15 flop S. Based on comparisons between the efficiency of man-made artifacts and natural artifacts, for example solar panels versus plants or batteries versus fat cells, I adjusted this estimate upward by 1 OOM for a transformative model, resulting in a distribution centered around approximately 1 E16 flop, sub-second. See below for more detail. The subjective seconds of training, T, must be extrapolated using other information. Extrapolating training data requirements. Evidence from ML theory and experimental data suggests that T depends on two key quantities. The number of parameters, P, that would be required to characterize a transformative model according to the hypothesis. In the case of the genome anchor hypothesis, P is anchored to an estimate of the amount of information contained in the human genome, while in the case of the neural network hypothesis, P is chosen so that the ratio of computation to parameters is similar to the ratio in commonly used neural network architectures such as the transformer. ML theory suggests that T should be roughly linear in P, while experimental evidence finds a power law scaling, that is, TP for some exponent, which seems to lie between approximately 0.4 and approximately 1.2 for different ML problems. How much data the model must process, on average, to tell with a given level of confidence whether a perturbation to the model improves performance or worsens performance. I call this the effective horizon length, measured in subjective seconds. Effective horizon length can vary by orders of magnitude across different ML problems. There are many potential sources of variation in the amount of data it takes to tell whether a perturbation improves or worsens performance how sparse ground truth loss signals are and how noisy and or biased proxy loss signals are as a reflection of ground truth, how much subjective time it takes for the consequences of a single action to fully play out, how stochastic the consequences of actions are, whether there are categories of inputs which are very rare but very important to performance, etc. Reinforcement learning problems tend to have longer effective horizon lengths than supervised learning or generative modeling problems, but there can be substantial variation within each broad category as well. Prima facie, I would expect that if we modify an ML problem so that effective horizon length is doubled, i.e., it takes twice as much data on average to reach a certain level of confidence about whether a perturbation to the model improved performance, the total training data required to train a model would also double. That is, I would expect training data requirements to scale linearly with effective horizon length as I have defined it. Using this as an assumption, I break up the two factors described above into three factors. A distribution over the number of flop, sub-second of a transformative model, F, according to the hypothesis. And distribution over the subjective seconds T required to train the model, broken into. An estimate of the effective horizon length, H, in subjective seconds according to the hypothesis. An extrapolation of the number of samples, chunks of H subjective seconds of data, that would be required to train the model, D, as a function of parameter count. I model D as a power law function of parameter count, KP, where the constant factor K and exponent are derived from experimental and observational evidence about existing models. I therefore model total training flop requirements according to the genome anchor and neural network hypotheses as train flop equals F flop, sub second, X, H sub second, sample, X, D samples, equals, F flop, sub second, X, H sub second, sample, XKP samples. I am not confident that linear scaling is the appropriate functional form, or that this concept as defined is precisely what I'm looking for. I could imagine coming to believe that there should be a different relationship between effective horizon length as defined and total training data requirements, at least for the sorts of ML problems that matter for this forecast, or that another concept or definition is more suited for the role that effective horizon length plays in this argument. 
This is currently the most important thread of further research we are pursuing. For the rest of this report, I will work with the functional form given above. The genome anchor and neural network hypotheses differ in their estimate of parameter count, which impacts the number of effective horizons D they predict would be required. For the three neural network hypotheses, I have assumed a parameter count of approximately 3E14, because architectures commonly used to train large models tend to perform 1 to 100 flop per subjective second, more. For the genome anchor hypothesis, I assumed a parameter count equivalent to the number of bytes in the human genome, or approximately 7.5 E8 parameters, more. Estimating the effective horizon length. The effective horizon length H is a huge source of uncertainty, because it cannot be directly extrapolated or calculated from any of the other relevant quantities, it is a property of the task that the model is trained to solve and the strategy used to train it, rather than the computational power or size of the model. Generating a guess for the effective horizon length necessarily involves some amount of speculation about the details of a potential training strategy for a transformative model. The genome anchor hypothesis is implicitly making a claim that training a transformative model will be structurally analogous to natural selection, albeit more computationally efficient, that it will involve searching for a genome with high fitness by optimizing over a large number of generations. Since signals about the fitness level of a particular candidate genome are sparse, this implies that the effective horizon length for the genome anchor hypothesis should be relatively long. I assumed a uniform distribution between approximately 1 subjective year, 3 e 7 subjective seconds, and approximately 32 subjective years, 1 e 9 subjective seconds. This results in a distribution centered around approximately 1 e 33 flop. See here for more detail. It is more ambiguous what the horizon length should be in the case of the neural network hypothesis. At the high end, we can imagine a training strategy structurally identical to the long horizon, natural selection-like training strategy implied by the genome anchor hypothesis, but less efficient, as it would require setting more parameters. At the low end, we can imagine a highly dense training signal with an effective horizon length of approximately one subjective second. This is similar to my assumption about the effective horizon length of contemporary language models and shorter than my best guess for the effective horizon lengths of contemporary RL models. I have arbitrarily divided the space of possible horizon lengths for the neural network hypothesis into three buckets which are evenly sized in log space. Short horizon log uniform from 1 subjective second to 1 E3 subjective seconds, approximately 17 minutes, with a median of approximately 32 subjective seconds. This results in a distribution centered around approximately 1 E32 flop. Medium horizon log uniform from 1 E3 subjective seconds to 1 E6 subjective seconds, approximately 12 days, with a median of approximately 9 subjective hours. This results in a distribution centered around approximately 3 E34 flop. Long horizon log uniform from 1 E6 subjective seconds to 1 E9 subjective seconds, approximately 32 years, with a median of approximately 1 subjective year. This results in a distribution centered around approximately 1 E37 flop. These distributions are identically shaped in space 300M apart. Updating against levels of training flop that are already attainable. Some hypotheses, especially the lifetime anchor hypothesis, assign non-trivial probability to levels of computation that are already affordable as of July 2020, for example, less than the amount of computation required to train alpha star or GPT-3. The lines in this landscape mark levels of computation that could theoretically have been purchased at various points in the past with various levels of investment. See this appendix for details on that landscape. The black line is the amount of computation that the alpha star training run used, approximately 1E23 flop, 
The blue line further to the right is the amount of computation that I estimate could be purchased for $30 billion in 2020. I think it is unlikely that the amount of computation that would be required to train a transformative model lies between the black and blue lines. AlphaStar and GPT-3 were not close to prohibitively expensive for DeepMind and OpenAI. If it were possible to train a transformative model with only a few UMs more flop, I would expect some company to have already trained a transformative model, or at least to have trained models that have had massive economic impact at a scale we have not yet seen from ML models. To account for this, I truncated each hypothesis distribution. Here, I have assumed. There is overwhelming evidence that the required amount of compute is larger than the amount of compute used to train Alpha Star, approximately 1E23 flop, which cost $1 million in 2019. In other words, I set the probability at 1E23 flop and below to zero. There is no particular evidence that the required amount of compute is greater than 1E27 flop, which would cost $10 billion in 2020. In other words, the probability at 1E27 flop and above is identical to the prior probability before truncation. There is an intermediate amount of evidence against flop values from 1E23 to 1E27. Specifically, I interpolated log linearly between those two values. To the extent that the prior, untruncated, distribution of a particular hypothesis assigned probability to levels of computation that we have updated against, we should consider that hypothesis less credible overall. The truncation removed approximately 30% of the probability mass in the lifetime anchor distribution and approximately 10% of the mass from the short horizon neural network distribution. The others were virtually unaffected, losing less than 5% probability mass. Combining into a mixture distribution. After generating the six conditional distributions for 2020 training computation requirements and updating against low-end flop values using the truncation procedure described above, I assign probabilities to the different hypotheses to produce a mixture distribution representing my overall belief about 2020 training computation requirements. I think that the neural network hypotheses collectively are the most plausible on priors, because they make the naively appealing assumption that the architecture and learning algorithm that would be used to train a transformative model, if sufficient compute were affordable today, would be broadly similar to the ones used to train the largest models so far. I assign 65% probability to the three hypotheses collectively, but I am deeply uncertain about horizon length for this hypothesis. I tentatively consider medium horizon lengths, of several subjective hours, to be most plausible. I assign 20% to short horizon, 30% to medium horizon, and 15% to long horizon. Additionally, I assign 5% probability to the lifetime anchor hypothesis, 10% probability to the genome anchor hypothesis, 10% probability to the evolution anchor hypothesis, and 10% probability to the possibility that the amount of computation that would be required to train a transformative model with 2020 architectures and algorithms is higher, perhaps astronomically higher, than any of the hypotheses predict. The resulting distribution is very wide. Conditional on one of the hypotheses being true, the distribution places non-trivial probability mass on a range of 26 orders of magnitude, from 1E24 flop to 1E50 flop. Hardware prices, spending, and algorithmic progress. I generate forecasts for effective computation available per dollar, willingness to spend on computation, and algorithmic progress, and use them to calculate the final probability distribution over when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model will become affordable. In this spreadsheet, I have spent substantially less time on these quantities than on the 2020 training computation requirements distribution. I model all three quantities as logistic curves that is, I assume they are improving at some exponential constant rate right now, but will level off and saturate at some maximum value, after which they will no longer improve. 
A brief summary of my reasoning. Hardware prices I assume that the cost of computation is having every approximately 2.5 years, which is somewhat slower than the historical Moore's Law trend but roughly in line with the more recent trend, and will level off after about 600M of progress, which is about half as many orders of magnitude of progress as has occurred over the last 50 years. Spending on computation as of July 2020, I estimate that the most expensive training run in a published paper was the final training run for Alpha Star, at roughly $1 million, I expect somewhat more expensive proprietary training runs have been done. In the near term I expect this to rise rapidly to about $1 billion by 2025, a doubling time of about 6 months, then slow to a doubling time of 2 years as AI labs run into more material capital constraints. I assume that spending would saturate at 1% of the GDP of the largest country, by anchoring to national and international mega-projects such as the Manhattan Project and the Apollo Project, each of which were more than 1% of US GDP. Because the GDP of the largest country is growing, I assume at the long-run US average of 3%, spending does not saturate at a maximum value, growing indefinitely at the same pace as GDP. Algorithmic Progress I forecast relatively incremental algorithmic progress separately for each of the six hypotheses. The blog post AI and Efficiency finds that ImageNet architectures and algorithms improve enough to have the amount of computation required to achieve AlexNet level performance every 16 months. However, researchers have strong feedback loops on ImageNet, and I would expect them to be less efficient at reducing computation costs for something which has never been done before, such as training a transformative model. I increase the having time to approximately 2 to 3 years. I assume that hypotheses which predict 2020 training computation requirements are higher would also expect more room to improve over time, so the cap on progress is different for each hypothesis, ranging from 1000 for lifetime anchor, to 500 for evolution anchor. Additionally, I assume that the probability that the required amount of computation is larger than all hypotheses would predict is falling linearly over time, from 10% in 2025 to 3% by 2100, to model the possibility of algorithmic breakthroughs that bring a task from essentially impossible to possible with non-astronomical amounts of computation. These forecasts, combined with the 2020 training computation requirements distribution shown above, generate the following cumulative distribution estimating when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model will be affordable. Bold black line. Below is the probability that the computation required to train a transformative model first becomes affordable in each future year, the probability mass function. The median estimate for when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model will be affordable is 2052 according to this distribution. However, I think that defensible choices of inputs to this model could result in a median as soon as 2036 or as late as 2100, see this section of part 4 for aggressive and conservative medians. Relationship to transformative AI timelines. This model is not directly estimating the probability of transformative AI, but rather the probability that the amount of computation that would be required to train a transformative model using contemporary ML methods would be attainable for some AI project, assuming that algorithmic progress, spending, and compute prices progress along a business-as-usual trajectory. The model doesn't incorporate the possibility of other paths to TAI, including more distributed paths in which TAI is not one unified piece of technology, but looks more like an industrial revolution driven by AI technologies. Whether the training data and or environments to train a transformative model are available by the time the computation is available. The possibility of exogenous events halting the normal progress of AI research, such as a global catastrophic risk, severe economic downturn, government regulation of AI, etc. 
additional effort and testing which might be required to ensure that the model meets safety and robustness standards, regulatory requirements, etc. How does the probability distribution output by this model relate to TAI timelines? In the very short term, for example 2025, I'd expect this model to overestimate the probability of TAI because it feels especially likely that other elements such as datasets or robustness testing or regulatory compliance will be a bottleneck even if the raw compute is technically affordable, given that a few years is not a lot of time to build up key infrastructure. In the long term, for example 2075, I'd expect it to underestimate the probability of TAI, because it feels especially likely that we would have found an entirely different path to TAI by then. In the medium term, for example 10 to 50 years from now, I feel unsure which of these two effects would dominate, so I am inclined to use the output of this model as a rough estimate of TAI timelines within that range. To choose a round number that avoids signaling too much precision, I have tentatively adopted 2050 as my median estimate for TAI. Definitions for key abstractions used in the model. In this section, I define two key concepts that underpin this model. The concept of a transformative model, more. The concept of the 2020 training computation requirements of a transformative model, more. How do we define transformative AI and transformative model? I define transformative artificial intelligence, transformative AI or TAI, as software, i.e. a computer program or collection of computer programs, that has at least as profound an impact on the world's trajectory as the Industrial Revolution did. This is adapted from a definition introduced by CEO Holden Karnofsky in a 2016 blog post. How large is an impact as profound as the Industrial Revolution? Roughly speaking, over the course of the Industrial Revolution, the rate of growth in gross world product GWP went from about approximately 0.1% per year before 1700 to approximately 1% per year after 1850, a tenfold acceleration. By analogy, I think of transformative AI as software which causes a tenfold acceleration in the rate of growth of the world economy, assuming that it is used everywhere that it would be economically profitable to use it. Currently, the world economy is growing at approximately 2-3% per year, so TAI must bring the growth rate to 20% to 30% per year if used everywhere it would be profitable to use. This means that if TAI is developed in year Y, the entire world economy would more than double by year Y plus 4. This is a very extreme standard, even 6% annual growth in GWP is outside the bounds of what most economists consider plausible in this century. This notion of transformative AI is defined solely in terms of its impact on the world, without making reference to any specific properties or capabilities of the relevant pieces of software or how they relate to one another. While this definition best captures what we ultimately care about as philanthropists, it can be difficult to reason about concretely because it is so unconstrained, it is intuitively unclear what transformative AI could look like, whether it's appropriate to think of it as one technology, rather than the cumulative effect of many different technologies, and what it would mean to develop TAI. In this report, I focus on analyzing a relatively concrete and easy-to-picture way that TAI could manifest as a single computer program which performs a large enough diversity of intellectual labor at a high enough level of performance that it alone can drive a transition similar to the Industrial Revolution. Let's call this a transformative program. A transformative model is simply one type of transformative program. In this section I spell out what a transformative program is and how it relates to transformative AI in greater detail. I first define what I mean by a task, and give examples of tasks, more. I then define the concept of a transformative task and provide examples of what a transformative task or model may look like, more. Finally, I discuss the relationship between the concept of a transformative program and artificial general intelligence or AGI, more. 
What makes something a well-defined task? Here, a task T is a natural language description of the desired input-output behavior of a computer program and the desired cost, in time and or money, of running the program, that is specific enough that a reasonable person who understands the description could relatively confidently classify whether or not a candidate program meets the desiderata, assuming they could test the program on whatever inputs they wanted for as long as they wanted. Here are examples of descriptions which are too ambiguous to be tasks. A computer that can see. A computer that can understand natural language. AI that can do everything a human can do. AI that can make some company at least $10 trillion. Here are some examples of tasks which seem to roughly meet the desired level of precision. A program which costs less than one cent, are to run that takes as input images randomly selected from the ImageNet corpus and within 200 milliseconds outputs predicted class labels such that the expected fraction of images it labels correctly on this distribution is greater than the fraction of images the average mechanical Turk worker would label correctly on the same distribution given the same 200 milliseconds time limit per image, assuming the Turkers all previously had 10 hours to familiarize themselves with the labeled ImageNet corpus. A program which costs less than 5 cents, are to run and that can take as input any image, including for example adversarially selected images, image containing words, images depicting famous people or sites, etc., and within 2 minutes output an English language description of the image such that the average mechanical Turk worker would determine that the program's description of the image was at least as accurate as a description written by a different randomly selected mechanical Turker who had the same 2 minutes time limit. A program which costs less than 10 cents, are to run and that takes as input the first half of a randomly selected post from Reddit, and within 2 minutes outputs a prediction of the next half of the post, such that an average mechanical Turk worker could not distinguish the model's completion from the true completion with success probability greater than random chance, assuming the worker had not read that specific Reddit post before. A program which costs less than $10, are to run and that takes as input the blurb on the back cover of a randomly selected New York Times best-selling novel, and within 10 hours outputs a non-plagiarized novel fitting that description, such that if Amazon consumers who made a purchase based on the blurb were randomly assigned to either the program's novel or the human author's novel, the average customer would rate the program's novel at least as highly out of 5 stars as the human author's novel. A program which costs less than $50, are to run and that takes as input a stream of live price data for various stocks and outputs a stream of trades such that a top-tier New York hedge fund would increase its expected revenue over the course of the average year by replacing all its human traders with instances of this program. There is still some ambiguity in each of the descriptions above, and they could all be tightened further, particularly the last one. For many of them, it would require running, potentially expensive or impractical real-world experiments involving humans to verify whether a candidate program constitutes a solution to the task. Some desired behaviors are inherently harder to describe succinctly as a task, and inherently harder to verify, than others. These examples are intended to be broadly illustrative of the level of specificity I mean when I talk about a task. What would it take for an individual task to be transformative? A transformative task is a specific task such that a solution to that task, i.e. a computer program that displays the desired input-output behavior within the specified resource constraints, would, if used in all contexts that it would be profitable, accelerate GWP growth tenfold compared to the 2020 growth rate. Such a computer program would be a transformative program. Note that a single instance of the program running on a single computer does not need to have this impact on its own. The program could be copied and run on billions of different computers, with each instance of the program working on a different set of inputs, just as millions of people can simultaneously use different instances of the Microsoft Word program on their personal computers to write different documents. 
If transformative AI is developed by training a machine learning model to solve a transformative task, one of the major challenges to its development is likely to be identifying a transformative task that is ML-friendly, a task for which we can readily develop efficient architectures, gather or produce abundant training data, craft low noise and well-shaped reward signals, etc., that has the tremendous scale of impact sought after. I will try to sketch out what a transformative task could look like in this section, although a these descriptions will not be as crisp as the examples of tasks given above, and b, it is unclear whether any of these tasks will turn out to be ML-friendly, which is a big source of uncertainty for this whole analysis. Examples of potentially transformative tasks. The simplest transformative task to think about intuitively is the virtual professional task. Let us define a virtual professional as a program running on a computer connected to the internet which takes as input a stream of bits representing the contents of the computer's monitor produces as output a stream of mouse clicks and keyboard strokes to interface with the computer, can learn to perform any kind of economically valuable work that could be done purely remotely, using only as much information, words or images, or trial and error as a highly intelligent graduate of a top university would require to learn to do that kind of work. Processes inputs and produces outputs 100 times faster than a human i.e., reads and writes hundreds of words per second, when humans generally read and write only a few words per second is substantially cheaper to run than a highly intelligent human would be to employ. For example it costs $100, subjective hour to run. It is relatively easy to think about what a virtual professional means. We have strong intuitions about what behaviors the program should be able to display. For example, it should be able to teach itself computer programming in only one day of elapsed real time. It should be able to pass the bar by attending law school classes remotely over only a few weeks of elapsed real time it should be able to acquire a PhD in less than a month of elapsed real time for many disciplines such as computer science or physics, it should be able to generate reasonable startup ideas given only a few real-time days of dedicated effort, it should be able to offer valuable judgments on complex questions of military strategy or policy after a few real-time months of study, etc. It's also fairly easy to see how a virtual professional would slot into the world economy to have a transformative impact because we would not need to substantially restructure the economy to extract value from it. The program could quickly become a direct drop-in replacement for a wide variety of top-level professionals who can do their work remotely, such as software engineers, most CEOs, many types of scientific researchers, most government advisors and policymakers, etc. The availability of a computer program that solves the virtual professional task would likely dramatically accelerate economic growth if sold on the open market, simply because a Different instances of this program running on different computers would collectively be able to automate a large fraction of the economy, and b, this means the economy would be operating much faster than it does now because most of its component parts are operating much faster. By construction, we are positing that a virtual professional would have strengths and weaknesses that roughly match an intelligent and educated human's profile of abilities, most crucially the ability to quickly learn how to perform new types of jobs. However, there is a much larger space of possible programs that, like existing ML models, are vastly superhuman in some areas and vastly subhuman in others. Let's call these kinds of programs unbalanced programs. Some possible unbalanced AI programs would be able to have as profound an impact on the world economy as a virtual professional would have, albeit potentially by complementing human skills very effectively rather than serving as straightforward substitutes for certain types of human labor. For example, it seems plausible to me that a virtual scientist specializing only in physics and chemistry or R&D might have a transformative impact by quickly discovering and developing other technologies that then have a transformative impact, for example drastically cheaper energy sources, atomically precise manufacturing, 
or whole brain emulation. Additionally, a virtual AI researcher model which specializes in conducting ML research could potentially quickly develop another type of transformative AI. Most AI systems, and other inventions more broadly, have historically been highly unbalanced, so it seems fairly likely that this pattern will continue and that the first transformative task we solve will be unbalanced. However, it is harder to generate specific descriptions of unbalanced tasks that would likely have a transformative impact if solved, because it is harder to intuitively understand how any given unbalanced program would interface with the rest of the world to generate impact. What about a model which is pre-trained on text and fine-tuned on many tasks? As of July 2020, training large generic language models such as GPT-3 on a broad corpus of text and then fine-tuning those models to solve specific downstream tasks seems to be a salient direction for future AI progress. Here, Fine-tuning means that developers use the parameter values at the end of the first training run, which were selected to accurately predict what would come next in a given piece of text, as the starting values for a new training run, where the model is trained to solve a task that requires good language understanding, such as text summarization. If transformative AI takes the form of a large language model fine-tuned to solve a variety of tasks, would this count as a single transformative model or a large number of different models? Each instance of the model would be fine-tuned for a different task and would therefore have a different set of parameter values. However, while the fine-tuned models would not be identical copies of the same computer program, the generic language model could be a transformative model if the fine-tuning step is sufficiently cheap. Suppose that fine-tuning the generic model to be competent at any particular job is much faster in serial time and less expensive per subjective second than teaching an intelligent and educated human how to do that job and the training process is fairly trivial to execute in terms of engineering, for example the model may ask its human overseers for the information it needs to make parameter updates in plain English. In that case, the generic model together with the learning algorithm used to update weights is solving the virtual professional task and would constitute a transformative model, I would expect that the economy would be growing radically faster within a few years of training the generic language model. Similarly, a sped-up simulation of a human would be a transformative program, even though if we created a billion copies of that simulated human to perform a billion different jobs, the contents of each copy's brain would quickly diverge. However, if it would take thousands of subjective years to fine-tune the generic model to do each new economically valuable job, and setting up the fine-tuning process is often bottlenecked on the time of human engineers and ML researchers, it would most likely not count as a single transformative model. Gradual automation through this process may eventually culminate in the world economy growing at 20-30% to 30% per year, but simply training the language model would probably not allow the economy to reach that level of growth right away. If you have the view that it would be cheap enough and simple enough to fine-tune a large generic language model that the generic model would constitute a transformative model, the short-horizon neural network hypothesis may represent your view well, more. How does this concept relate to artificial general intelligence? While transformative is defined in terms of its impact on the world, artificial general intelligence or AGI is usually defined in terms of a certain set of cognitive abilities. I think some uses of the word AGI are very similar to what I call a transformative program, while others are too strong or too weak. Sometimes AGI is used to refer to a computer program that would pass a relatively casual Turing test, for example having a one-hour conversation with the program should feel like talking to a human. This would likely mean it would have to be fluent in natural language, displays a reasonable amount of general knowledge about the world, its responses display common sense and understanding of context, its statements are coherent and consistent with one another, it can make simple inferences, and so on. This definition is too weak for transformative AI, 
and I expect we will have systems that pass this bar many years before AI systems have driven approximately 20 to 30% annual growth. Other times, AGI is used to refer to a computer program that can do any cognitive task that any human can do at least as well as the best human at that task. This definition is somewhat similar to the virtual professional concept, but stronger. I think it is likely that we will have transformative AI in advance of AGI in this sense, although I am unsure how far in advance. How do we define 2020 training computation requirements? This section provides a bit more detail on how I am operationalizing the 2020 training computation requirements, i.e. the amount of computation it would take to train a transformative model if we had to do it using only current knowledge. I will define the concept of technical difficulty, the amount of money it would take to solve a task in a given year, more. Explain why I believe that technical difficulty of solving a task with ML is a rough upper bound on technical difficulty overall, more. Operationalize training computation requirements and explain why they seem like a recent proxy for the technical difficulty of solving a task with ML, more. Discuss how to define training data requirements, which are required for estimating training computation requirements for the genome anchor and neural network hypotheses, more. Defining the technical difficulty of task T in year Y. I will use technical difficulty to refer to the notion of how hard it would be to produce a computer program to solve a given task. This concept needs to be defined relative to a certain well-defined task and a certain level of algorithmic understanding. I will define the technical difficulty of some task T for the CS field in a certain year Y as follows. The price of the bundle of resources that it would take to implement the cheapest solution to T that researchers could have readily come up with by year Y, given the CS field's understanding of algorithms and techniques at that time. By bundle of resources, I mean the collection of hardware, tools, data, engineering labor, and wall clock time that the project requires, anything other than fundamental algorithms developed in the research community. I am imagining a large team of top researchers is focused specifically on designing a solution to the task for a short period of time, for example approximately 2-5 to five years, although the implementation of the solution may take a much longer period of time, for example, the cheapest solution that researchers could come up with within approximately 2-5 to five years might involve training a machine learning model for 10 years. It's tricky to estimate the current, 2020, technical difficulty for a task T that hasn't been solved yet, particularly if solving the task is far enough out of reach that no one is seriously attempting it at all right now. Technical difficulty of tasks which have the form improve upon the current state-of-the-art score on X popular benchmark by Y% percent may be relatively easy to estimate by extrapolating from existing trends, but getting a good estimate of technical difficulty for a task that's much further out of reach requires speculating in substantial detail how we might produce an extraordinarily impactful system assuming we had access to unlimited resources. Most programmers and researchers are generally not aiming to do this kind of exploratory engineering work, in fact, they are generally working on the inverse problem of designing and solving tasks that are as impressive or useful as possible given current resource constraints. Technical difficulty conditional on ML is a rough upper bound. I think ML can be thought of as an extension to the toolkit of ordinary programming which makes the job of the programmer easier at the expense of costing more computation and or data. Machine learning is essentially a cluster of techniques for searching over a search space H of candidate computer programs, also known as a model class or a hypothesis space, to find a particular program within that space which empirically performs well according to a certain loss function LH, D, on a certain data distribution DD I'll use machine learning problem to refer to a specified combination of objective function and data distribution, LH, D, D. We can construct a well-specified task from a machine learning problem by specifying a target performance level, a value L such that if LH, 
D, L, the program H successfully solves the task. A very common way to set up a model class H for an ML problem is by using some number P of free parameters a parametrization function takes as input a list of P numbers, and arranges those numbers together into a computer program that takes as input an element from D, for example a representation of an image or Go board, and produces an output of the desired type, for example a label for the image or a representation of the next move in the game. Given a parametrization function, each candidate program in H is then fully specified by a particular setting of the P parameters, and the optimization process will select a particular set of numbers which represent a high-performing candidate program. If each of the P parameters has B possible values, then the model class H will contain B P candidate programs. Defining a parametrized model class to solve a certain task essentially amounts to writing down a program to solve the task while allowing ourselves to leave parts of the program we are uncertain about blank and letting the optimization fill in the blanks, the more parameters we can use, the more blanks we can leave in the initial solution we write down. In this sense, ML simply adds the option to leave something blank, filling it in via a particular search and optimize process, to the existing repertoire of programming options. Because of this, the amount of money it would take to solve a task using pure ML at any given point in time is often substantially higher than the actual technical difficulty of that task at that time ML is essentially the most brute force option in our programming toolkit, and if we happen to have deeper insight into the task, we should expect to get away with leaving less of the program blank and thereby spending fewer resources on optimization. Training computation requirements are a decent proxy for technical difficulty. Technical difficulty is defined as the price of the bundle of resources that it would take to implement the cheapest solution to T that researchers could have readily come up with by year Y, given the CS field's understanding of algorithms and techniques at that time. By analogy, we can define the year Y training computation requirements for a transformative model. The number of flop that would be used to train a transformative model in the cheapest training run that researchers could have readily designed by year Y, given the ML field's understanding of architectures and optimization techniques at that time. I focus on estimating training computation requirements in this report because there seem to be meaningful biological analogs for computation that we can lean on, which is less obviously the case for for example training data or engineering costs. Currently, training computation costs tend to make up a substantial fraction of the total cost of generating state-of-the-art ML results, and it seems likely to continue that way, making it a reasonably strong proxy for technical difficulty conditional on ML. Compute usage, price, and spending is unusually tractable to track and forecast over time. With that said, I will occasionally touch on other important aspects of technical difficulty, particularly data and human labor requirements, qualitatively, and these considerations are important in my judgments about how plausible various biological anchor hypotheses are. How do we define and estimate training data requirements? The neural network and genome anchor hypotheses involve estimating 2020 training computation requirements by first extrapolating how many subjective seconds of data are required to train a model of a certain size on a transformative task and then multiplying by the number of flop performed per subjective second by a transformative model. How do we define 2020 training data requirements by analogy to 2020 technical difficulty and 2020 training computation requirements? There are a great diversity of possible transformative tasks and transformative models, and for any particular transformative task there are a wide variety of ways to set up an ML problem to solve it how large a model to use and how long to train it for, exactly what kinds of data and environments to use, how much data to collect, what precise objective functions to use, and the settings of various hyperparameters can all be varied based on the trade-offs researchers face and the resources that are available to them. 
the technical difficulty formulation assumes a hypothetical in which researchers design an ML problem and choose hyperparameters to solve a transformative task while minimizing all things considered costs, balancing engineering effort against data against computation against wall clock time, as best as they can, using their algorithmic understanding as of 2020. Our definition of training data requirements follows from that. Let's say that the cheapest way to train a transformative model, that researchers can think of in 2020, involves training a model with p-parameters to optimize the objective function L to a level of target performance LT, using subjective seconds worth of data collected or generated in some specified way, for example drawn from some specified distribution, or generated as the result of interaction with some specified training environment. The estimate for P is different for the neural network hypothesis and the genome anchor hypothesis. In the former case, my median is roughly approximately 3 E14 parameters because the most common architectures as of 2020 seem to involve a large number of parameters each doing a small number of flop per subjective second of experience, more, and in the latter case my median estimate is approximately 7.5 E8 parameters because I am anchoring to the amount of information found in the human genome, more. In both cases, we would like to estimate T given an estimate of P. If we already knew what this ML problem would look like, that is, if we could specify L, the process of data collection or generation, and the model architecture, then we may be able to run the following ML experiment. Perform a sequence of training runs with increasing flop budgets C1, C2, C3. CN using models of a similar architecture on data collected according to the specification. For each flop budget C, perform a systematic sweep for the model size pi and the total amount of training data T that results in the lowest loss value for that computation budget. This will associate each model pi with a particular optimal amount of experience, t subjective seconds. Fit a function tef p to the collection of pairs, p1, t1, dot, pn, dn, to describe the number of subjective seconds of data that would be required to train a model of a given size in a compute cost-efficient way on this ML problem. Use the function tef p to extrapolate the number of subjective seconds of data that a model large enough to have a transformative impact would be trained on, Assuming a cost-efficient training run T equals TEF P, i.e. TEF 1015 for the neural network hypotheses and TEF 75108 for the genome anchor hypothesis. I'll refer to T as the amount of data required to train a transformative model, and TEF P, the function that could be fit using the results of this hypothetical experiment, as the scaling behavior of a transformative ML problem. As I said above, the scaling behavior for current ML problems seems to have the functional form. T equals, H sub second, effective horizon, XKP effective horizons. Where the constant factor K is in the range of approximately 10 to 1000 and the exponent is in the range of approximately 0.4 to 1.2. I assume that the scaling behavior of a transformative task would have the same form, and choose subjective probability distributions over values of K and to be similar to current ML problems. See part 2 for more detail. What does brain flop S mean and why anchor to the brain? All six biological anchor hypotheses rely on an estimate of brain flop S in some way. The lifetime anchor and evolution anchor hypotheses use an estimate of brain flop S to calculate the total amount of computation done over a human lifetime and over the course of evolution, respectively. The neural network and genome anchor hypotheses instead anchor to human brain flop S to estimate the number of flop a transformative model may perform per subjective second. In this section, I cover why I view the human brain as an existence proof in nature for a transformative model and the motivation for using the brain to help estimate training flop, more. The evolutionary hypothetical operationalization for human brain flop s, more. 
My subjective probability distribution over human brain flop s, informed heavily by a report prepared by my colleague Joe Carlsmith, more. The brain is an existence proof of a transformative model. I see the human brain as an existence proof in nature that could be used to calibrate our expectations for the flop slash subsecond of a transformative ML model and or the flop required to train such a model. I said above that perhaps the easiest transformative model to concretely picture is a virtual professional, a model that can do roughly everything economically productive that an intelligent and educated human could do remotely from a computer connected to the internet at a hundredfold speed up, for costs similar to or lower than the cost of employing such a human. That is, one salient example of a transformative model is a computer program that displays a large subset of the behaviors of an intelligent human, albeit running more quickly. As I explained above, there is also a potentially large space of specialized models which would have a transformative impact by being vastly superhuman in some areas and vastly subhuman in others, call these unbalanced models, where a virtual professional, or another potential transformative model that has a profile of abilities very similar to a human, would be balanced. Out of all the theoretically possible transformative models, both balanced and unbalanced, the ones that are trained earliest will probably be the ones that turn out to be cheaper and easier to train. That means that if and when someone first trains a transformative model of some kind, that model will likely have been easier to train than a virtual professional, otherwise, someone else would have been able to train a virtual professional earlier. That means that in theory, the technical difficulty of training a transformative model should be at most the technical difficulty of training a virtual professional. If we accept this argument, that means that training a transformative model should not be harder than training a model that can display a strict subset of the behaviors that an intelligent human can display, even if that model has a profile of abilities nothing like a human, and is capable of doing many things that are completely beyond any human's ability. However, in practice, it seems fairly likely to me that a single model which can accelerate growth so dramatically would either need to be fairly generally intelligent and capable of quickly acquiring a wide variety of skills like the virtual professional, or need to be extremely superhuman at a key set of very difficult skills such as technological R&D. I can't easily think of versions of the latter which seem like they should clearly have substantially lower technical difficulty than solving the virtual professional task. Additionally, I think that explicit quantitative estimates like this are more likely to be overly aggressive than overly conservative, even if some parameters are deliberately chosen to be conservative. Given this, I am inclined to treat the difficulty of training a balanced transformative model as a rough proxy for the difficulty of training any transformative model. How big would a model need to be in order to be able to solve some balanced transformative task if trained using roughly current ML techniques? Once trained, such a model would be able to do a large subset of what an intelligent human could do. So it feels natural to ask if we could somehow quantify brain computation as a starting point to anchor our estimates around. If we could cast the brain as a software which was written by the process of human evolution, running on biological hardware, then it would be doing something very similar to what a balanced transformative model would be doing. If we had a guess for how many flop as the brain software could run on, we could start asking questions like should we expect our model architectures to be more or less efficient than the brain software once trained? By how much? The evolutionary hypothetical definition of brain flop s. There are a number of possible ways to try to cash out what we mean by brain computation, all of which come with some conceptual messiness. See this section of Joe's report for an overview. The definition of brain computation that feels most appealing to me from the perspective of this argument is something like how much computation would an animal's brain have to run on for natural selection to be able to select that animal to be as intelligent as humans? In this section, I will provide some caveats and clarifications about this definition, more. Attempt a more detailed operationalization of the informal statement, more. 
generate a subjective probability distribution, based on my reading of Joe's report, over how much computation the human brain performs according to this definition, more. Important caveats about this attempted definition. I am not aspiring to the same level of formalism or detail as I am for other operationalizations of concepts given in this document, which themselves have considerable room for interpretation and potential for confusion. I find a couple of alternative definitions, which I don't discuss here because they are covered in Joe's report, relatively compelling as well. My current guess is that using any of the definitions I find relatively compelling would result in roughly similar central estimates for brain computation, but would likely lead to different behavior in the tails. I find this to be a point that robustifies my case somewhat. This definition is fairly complex and unorthodox, and relatively hard to think about intuitively and or test empirically. I am not sure that I have fully played out the logical implications in my mind, which might be causing me to make some sort of conceptual error. Technical advisor Paul Cristiano originally proposed this way of thinking about brain computation. Neither he nor I have a background in neuroscience and I have not attempted to talk to neuroscientists about this. To the extent that neuroscientists who talk about brain computation have a specific alternative definition of this in mind, this proposal may not line up well with their way of thinking about it. This might make it more hazardous to rely as much as I do on evidence Joe gathered from discussions with neuroscientists. I am not confident that my subjective estimates below are adhering strictly to the definition I give here, although as I said above, my guess is that swapping in an alternative definition which I still consider to be fairly attractive would mainly shift around the tails of the probability distribution rather than the bulk. With all that said, the question how much computation would natural selection have needed access to in order to produce beings as intelligent as humans, still feels most appealing to me from the perspective of doing work in this argument about TAI timelines. More detail on how I imagine the evolutionary hypothetical working. Human brains can be thought of as the product of a large-scale optimization process, natural selection optimizing a certain population of creatures for inclusive genetic fitness within a particular ecological niche. In many ecological niches, having a larger brain turned out to be valuable for an animal's genetic fitness due to the increased versatility and sophistication of behaviors that it enabled. Human evolutionary history in particular is characterized by a very large increase in the brain sizes of our ancestors sustained over a very long period of time. This is despite the fact that an animal with a larger brain would need to consume more calories and may face other complications, which would, other things being equal, reduce fitness in a resource-scarce environment. For these purposes, I think brain size mostly manifests as neuron count. Because of the dynamic described above, I think it would be reasonable to model neurons as a resource that can be purchased at some price from the perspective of natural selection as an optimizer. When larger brains confer substantially more of a fitness advantage on average than the fitness losses, from calorie needs and various complications, within a particular niche, there will be a natural selection pressure toward having brains with more neurons. However, there is also natural selection pressure toward making the most out of a certain brain size, for example toward arranging a fixed number of neurons in a highly efficient wiring pattern, allowing for the largest possible qualitative improvement in behavioral sophistication per increment of brain size. This is similar to the sense in which computation is a resource for training ML systems, an AI project can purchase more compute when this would be worth the cost for its research and or commercial goals, but researchers also attempt to design architectures that are expressive, scalable, and well-suited to the task of interest in order to leverage each unit of compute effectively. By analogy to model architectures, I will refer to the set of genetic adaptations determining how an animal's neurons are wired together and put to use to generate behaviors as the animal's brain architecture. With this in mind, a key question that I think should play into an estimate of transformative model flop, 
Subsecond for the genome anchor and neural network anchor hypotheses is something like how efficient are human-designed ML model architectures for a given human goal, in this case, for training a balanced transformative model, compared to how efficient the evolutionarily selected human brain architecture was for an analogous goal, in this case, producing an unusually intelligent animal in an ecological niche where intelligence conferred high degrees of genetic fitness? A more specific, though strange, counterfactual that could be used to operationalize the question of brain architecture efficiency is something like this Imagine that we restarted the process of natural selection on Earth from the origin of neurons with small jellyfish, while making the following change whenever the jellyfish's genome would have instructed its body to produce a biological neuron cell, we instead produce some number n of floating point units each capable of doing one calculation per second. Assume that there is some interface that translates data from its normal biological sensory organs into numerical inputs for some set of FPUs, and transfers numerical outputs from another set of FPUs into motor commands for the animal's normal muscles. The hypothetical jellyfish's genome has the ability to arrange these FPUs into various circuits and produce more FPUs over evolutionary time about as flexibly as the genome of the actual jellyfish could rearrange neurons and add more neurons. Adding an FPUs to the hypothetical nervous is about as costly as adding one neuron was in its actual nervous system. Everything else about biological and physiology and ecological niches on Earth remains unchanged. How many FPUs, and would need to be provided per neuron on average for this hypothetical version of natural selection to produce animals that we would regard as roughly equally intelligent to the animals of Earth, given similar amounts of time to evolve and similar levels of natural selection pressure toward intelligence? In potentially simpler terms if we anthropomorphize evolution as a being who is consciously optimizing for the goal of creating intelligent creatures and is willing to use whatever physical component parts that it has available to do the job, we can ask how well on average it would be able to work with the component of a floating point unit versus the component of a biological neuron to achieve its high-level goal. The number of flop s performed by the brain of some animal x is then n times the number of neurons in the brain of animal x. As I mentioned at the top of this section, this is an admittedly unorthodox definition which is very challenging to think about concretely, nonetheless, I feel that it best captures the motivation behind my use of biological anchors in this document. I am seeing humanity as competing with this anthropomorphized version of evolution, can we manage to design pieces of software that achieve similar goals to the software written by evolution while consuming less computation? Or is our design ability poor enough that our software artifacts would need to consume much more computation to do similarly impressive things? Similarly, will the training process be as expensive as evolution, or are our optimization algorithms more efficient such that we would need to perform much less computation to find a similarly capable model? Subjective probability distribution over brain flop s. Joe lays out several possible definitions of brain computation in his report, rather than focusing narrowly on the evolutionary hypothetical definition I laid out above. He is not aiming to estimate brain flop s directly, instead asking the broad question what can we learn from the brain about the flop s sufficient, in principle, to carry out the tasks that the brain does? Nonetheless, his research is highly relevant for informing estimates based on more specific and opinionated definitions such as mine. Based on reading his report, my current best guess is that the number n of FPUs that would be required to replace one neuron is about approximately 0.01 to 1000, it seems about 50% likely that the value is one or smaller. A brief summary of the argument for this. The average neuron fires about approximately 0.1 to 2 times per second. This sends an electrical signal across a synapse to between approximately 1,000 and approximately 10,000 neurons that are downstream of it. Neurons are theoretically capable of firing much more often than that, roughly speaking, 
whether or not a given neuron fires at a given time is a function of somehow integrating all the input signals it is currently receiving from all of its upstream neurons. It seems plausible that a firing event could be represented with approximately one flop per downstream neuron that receives the signal, that the decision-making about whether to fire could be represented with less than 100,000 flop per neuron per second, and that these computations dominate other computations which may be necessary to represent. This results in approximately 1,000 to 100,000 flop neuron per second, or other words approximately 1 to 10 flop, synapse per second. This is roughly equivalent to the amount of computation it would take to run a model of the brain in which we had perfect knowledge of the connectome, the pattern of neuronal connections, and simply replaced every biological neuron with a standard artificial neuron. It also seems plausible that biological neurons are a less helpful building block than artificial neurons. For example, my understanding is that because firing is only a binary signal, biological neurons use cues like firing frequency to communicate what conceptually feels like only one real valued number such as how hot is this object. I also believe that at least some neuroscientists consider it plausible that the average firing rate of a patch of biological neurons is the appropriate level of granularity at which to understand the brain, for example because it may be using such mechanisms to reduce the impact of various kinds of noise. This suggests it may be possible to replicate the function of for example approximately 10 to 100 biological neurons using one artificial neuron composed of low-noise FPUs capable of sending real-valued signals. Furthermore, only some subset of neurons in the whole brain may be most contributing to our subjective understanding of human intelligence, such that we may consider an animal with somewhat fewer neurons than a human equally intelligent, because the facilities that it sacrificed were for example balance or other types of motor control. The human brain has 86 billion, 8.6 E10, neurons which are each connected to 1,000 to 10,000 other neurons via synapses, at 1 to 10 flop, synapse, firing and 0.1 to 2 firing second, that would be 8.6 E10, 1 E3 to 1 E4, 1 to 10, 0.1 to 2 equals 8.6 E12 taught 1.7 E16 flop S. My best guess for a median is 1 E15 flop S, I would be quite surprised by values lower than approximately 1E11 flop S because my understanding of the potential reasons why artificial neurons may be a better building block than biological neurons don't seem to imply that they are likely to be multiple OO and better. There is a longer tail to the right of my median than to the left given my epistemic state, I find it harder to feel confident in an upper bound for brain computation. My understanding is that there is a wide array of different models of neural computation used by neuroscientists, and many models that are useful for understanding neuron function would result in a full brain computation estimate of 1E15 flop S if applied to all 86 billion neurons. One candidate upper bound that I do find quite compelling is the limit method described in Joe's report. This is given by the Landauer limit, which is a bound on the number of logical bit erasures that could occur per unit of time in a non-reversible computer that consumes a certain amount of power to run. Given that we can estimate how much power the brain runs on from caloric intake estimates and or cellular activity measures, the Landauer limit bounds the amount of bit erasures which could be occurring in the human brain, assuming that it is not doing reversible operations, which seems highly likely. Using what I consider to be a relatively conservative estimate for the brain's energy budget and a highly conservative estimate for the number of logical bit erasures which are equivalent to one flop, Joe estimates that the Landauer limit for human brain computation is approximately 7E21 flop S. I would guess that a reasonable high-end estimate is therefore greater than 100M smaller than this. I have translated my subjective uncertainty into this probability distribution. 
I have also indicated the median of the distribution and the estimate of the Landauer limit upper bound described above, as well as my best guess for the median number of flop as performed in mouse brains, bee brains, and C. elegans nervous systems. To be fully principled, I should be explicitly accounting for my subjective credence that this basic way of thinking about brain computation is somehow broken, including that we are misunderstanding the Landauer limit argument and the true right tail should be longer and thicker. I have not done that here because it would have been too cognitively demanding to determine how best to incorporate that kind of model uncertainty, which feels different in kind from my uncertainty over this quantity from within a particular model. This distribution should be thought of as conditional on the approach being sound, the brain being very unlikely to do reversible computation, and the estimate of the Landauer being correct and applicable in the way we believe it is. The possibility that these assumptions are mistaken will ultimately determine how much weight I give to the whole biological anchors framework relative to other big picture ways of getting at the TAI timelines question. Note that this does not necessarily represent Joe's subjective probability distribution over brain computation, even given the caveats above, although he has looked at it and considers it to be a roughly reasonable state of subjective uncertainty for someone to be in given the evidence. Transformative model flop, sub second. How much computation would a model need to perform to have a transformative impact given current architectural sophistication as of 2020? I argued above that because of the possibility of training a balanced transformative model, it is reasonable to use the human brain as an existence proof in nature when thinking about the potential flop sub-second of a transformative model, an anchor to brain flop s when estimating transformative model computation. My subjective estimate after reading Joe's report is that there is an approximately 50% chance that evolution would have been able to work with approximately 1e15 or fewer flop s to produce a system roughly as intelligent as a human. If we think of humanity as competing with evolution to design efficient model architectures for similar goals, how much larger or smaller would our models need to be than the human brain before they can be trained to solve a transformative task? My central estimate is that a transformative model would need to be approximately 1000 and larger than the brain, approximately 1e16 flop, sub-second, given the sophistication of current ML architectures. I use this estimate both for the neural network hypothesis and the genome anchor hypothesis, more in part 3. In this section I go over what I think we should believe on priors, before examining empirical evidence, more. What sources of empirical evidence could potentially shed light on this, and what I believe they imply, more. What my overall subjective distribution is over the amount of computation that a transformative model may run on, more. What should we believe about model flop slash sub-second on priors? At a high level, I think there are a few key dynamics that seem relevant. Evolution has had vastly more time to optimize brain architectures than human researchers have had to optimize ML architectures. However, human researchers a have the benefit of forethought and explicit backwards chaining from their desired goals which should allow them to explore the space of possible architectures vastly faster, and b, can potentially benefit from examining the brain's architecture and attempting to reverse engineer it. The goal of designing a model architecture suitable for solving a balanced transformative task is probably at least slightly easier in some sense than the analogous task of designing a brain architecture suitable for being as intelligent as a human since a model which displays a strict subset of the behaviors an intelligent human can display would still be transformative, if evolution were selecting for transformativeness rather than intelligence in humans, it could likely have been able to work with a smaller brain. Additionally, because energy and space are relatively cheap, a transformative model could be physically much larger and consume more energy than an animal whose brain performs a similar amount of computation. Overall, my gut-level synthesis is as follows. 
the advantages and disadvantages of evolution relative to human design should net out somewhere between a wash, and a slight advantage to evolution given its sheer scale and the intuitive intricacy and impressiveness of natural systems, and the relative newness of deep learning compared to other fields of technological R&D this points toward making no adjustment or a slight upward adjustment, say adding something like minus 0.5 to plus 1.500 m to the brain compute estimate in order to derive an estimate of the required model compute. The consideration that a balanced transformative task is somewhat easier than the task of being a human points in the direction of a downward adjustment from brain compute. I could see this being minus 100M, but it feels unlikely to be minus 200M. This is based on an intuitive judgment of the seeming intelligence of animals with different numbers of neurons. It seems to me that a chimp-sized brain, which is approximately 0.500M smaller than a human brain, could have relatively easily been optimized over evolutionary time to do scientific research given the right fitness signal, since chimps are already able to use tools and learn rudimentary sign language. On the other hand, mice, whose brains are approximately 200m smaller than human brains, don't seem to me to display the kind of flexible learning and problem-solving behavior that indicates the same potential. I think these kinds of judgments are particularly likely to be different for different people, and often come down to intellectual aesthetic in significant part. I encourage readers to generate their own probability distributions for this quantity in particular. What empirical evidence might bear on model flop, sub-second? I can think of two potentially promising avenues to getting a better handle on how ML architectures would likely compare to brain architectures. We can potentially turn to existing examples of human-designed artifacts competing with artifacts produced by evolution in non-AI domains, for example artificial organs, which are often much more straightforward to evaluate, to get a sense for how human designs compare to evolutionary designs in general. We can estimate the distribution of brain flop S for various smaller animals, and try to qualitatively gauge how the capabilities of ML models today compare to the capabilities of the animals they are closest to in size. This has the potential to be more satisfying if we can compare functional subparts of an animal's brain, for example the visual system, with ML models of a similar size which are attempting to solve a similar task, for example object recognition or video prediction. How has human technology compared to nature in non-AI domains? Paul Cristiano has spent a day looking into the first question, producing this document, which briefly explores how various artificial organs, for example artificial hearts or dialysis machines, compare in energy cost to their natural counterparts. How solar panels compare to plants at converting sunlight into stored energy, in terms of efficiency, what fraction of the incoming sunlight is successfully converted to electrical or chemical energy by a solar panel or leaf, and payback period, how long it would take for a solar panel or leaf to capture as much energy as it took to manufacture it. How energy storage in chemical batteries compares to energy storage in fat cells, in terms of payback period. How computer hardware, as opposed to software, compares to estimated hardware power in the brain, in terms of flop s per watt, which is equivalent to flop joule, and manufacturing cost in energy. How photo detectors and cameras compare to the photo detectors in the human retina, in terms of a combination of desired qualities such as pixel resolution, brightness needed to recognize colors, and temporal resolution versus energy consumption. How actuators compare to limbs and muscles in terms of energy cost to do a comparable seeming type of locomotion. The findings are summarized in this table, put together by Danny Hernandez on the basis of Paul's research. How much worse are human-engineered artifacts than evolution? Performance. Powers of 10. Metric. Dialysis machine. Three worse. Energy cost. Artificial hearts. One to two worse. Energy cost. Solar power. One better. Efficiency. Solar power. Four worse. 
Payback period. Chemical energy storage. Two worse. Payback period. V100 GPU. One to two worse. Flops W. V100 GPU. Four worse. Manufacturing energy cost. Photo detector. Three to four worse. Overall performance given power. Locomotion. Two worse. Energy cost. I have not attempted to vet or reproduce Paul's research on this question. I hope to investigate this more thoroughly in the future. Additionally, the evidence this kind of analysis can provide about the question of interest is inherently fairly limited. It is very difficult to properly take into account cases in which humans have more or less completely failed at replicating a certain piece of natural technology, for example, biological systems appear to be remarkably good at producing very small-scale machinery of a level of complexity that human nanotechnology does not seem close to replicating, even allowing for many OOM increases in energy costs. It is similarly difficult to take into account cases in which it seems that humans might have designed technologies with no clear natural analog. Arguably, long-range high-speed land transportation such as cars and trains, which seem to be able to cover long distances substantially more effectively than animals walking, could fall into this category, as could highly lethal weapons such as guns and bombs, which seem substantially more effective at dealing damage than claws fangs slash stingers etc. The dynamics of research and development are highly different across different fields of technology, it's unclear how ML research should compare to these examples. With that said, at face value the technologies Paul selected seem like reasonably salient central examples of human designers attempting to compete with a natural artifact to me and I think that they would provide a relatively valuable central estimate, because a priori I don't have a strong instinct about whether I should expect human designers to have a comparative advantage or disadvantage at designing model architectures compared to designing these physical objects. Of the metrics he examined, the measures of utility per unit power consumption, as opposed to manufacturing costs, payback period, or efficiency, seem to be the most relevant source of evidence for thinking about how many flop. Subsecond model architectures would need to run on to compete with brain architectures. The average of these measures for the dialysis machine, approximately 3 OOM worse, artificial hearts, approximately 1.5 OOM worse, the V100 GPU, approximately 1.5 OOM worse, the photodetector, approximately 3.5 OOM worse, and locomotion, approximately 2 OOM worse, from the table above is approximately 3.2 OOM worse, and the standard deviation is approximately 1 OOM. Additionally, I am inclined to place a little bit more weight on the V100 data point because the ML field intuitively seems more correlated with the computer hardware field than the others. However, I am unsure exactly how relevant this is. It might be the case that evolution has optimized for energy efficiency to a degree that human designers generally don't need to, because energy is relatively abundant for us while it is scarce and dangerous to acquire for many animals. The fact that evolutionary artifacts tend to be more energy efficient than their human designed counterparts may simply reflect that evolution was under a stronger constraint there. With that said, evolutionary artifacts tend to be superior on multiple dimensions, and not obviously deficient on any particular dimension, so I'm still inclined to assign some penalty for that. My central estimate from this methodology downward to something like approximately 2.500 OM worse, plus slash 1 OOM. How do the capabilities of models compare to those of animals? Another, substantially rougher, way to get an intuition for how human design model architectures may compare with brain architectures is to qualitatively examine the intelligence, impressiveness of various models with that of various small animals. Note that it is not a prediction of this framework that we ought to be able to closely simulate particular animals using a model roughly similar to the size of their brain. This doesn't isolate the impact of model size from other factors, 
A failure to closely simulate a bee might be due to human researchers being unable to generate a good simulation of the bee's body or environment, or being unable to design an objective function that incentivizes bee likeness, which might need to involve expensive human feedback from bee experts. The relevant prediction is something like given a well-specified environment and objective function, how large of a model would we need to train such that the model optimizes its objective about as well as an animal with a certain brain size appears to be optimizing for its genetic fitness? This is very murky to think about, because the tasks that ML models are solving are generally very different from the tasks that animals are implicitly solving, and it is very difficult to judge how well an animal is doing at optimizing its overall fitness. Below, I show the probability distributions for the brain computation levels of three smaller animals, C. elegans, honeybee, and mouse, along with the probability distribution of human brain computation and the runtime flop, subsecond of various ML models. Intuitively, this comparison makes me inclined to evaluate human-designed ML architectures somewhat more favorably relative to brain architectures than the earlier methodology. I am particularly struck by TD Gammon, which would run on about as much computation as my median estimate for C. elegans if it is able to evaluate 4 moves per second. It feels intuitively impressive to me that an RL model running on as much compute as a microscopic worm was able to achieve decent play at backgammon while playing multiple moves every second. Even if I attempt to take into account the fact that C. elegans has to navigate a more diverse continuous environment with a greater number of possible actions, it feels relatively implausible to me that playing backgammon quickly at the level of reasonably skilled human players is for example hundreds of times easier than the task of being a small worm. It also seems intuitively plausible to me that Alpha Star is not drastically less sophisticated than a honeybee, or that a very large-scale transformer would be somewhat more sophisticated than a bee, given the grammatically coherent, idiomatic, and roughly on-topic text samples that substantially smaller transformers can generate. Additionally, Paul has spent a few hours investigating the question of how insect vision compares to various image models, which has the potential to be a much tighter analogy than the above analogies, in order to inform his personal views on timelines. While this analogy has the potential to be more satisfying, it is still highly conceptually fraught and empirically messy to make such comparisons. Paul looked into this question for personal purposes almost two years ago, and he has not carefully written up his reasoning and evidence in a way that would allow others to examine it, he no longer necessarily endorses the precise numerical conclusions. Nonetheless, I felt it might be valuable to nonetheless report his findings because it is informing my intuitions. We hope to conduct our own investigation into the vision analogy in the future, though the functional method section in Joe's report explores this to some extent. Paul's remembered impression from his research into the visual capabilities of various insects is that honeybee vision seems to require heuristics that are somewhat more sophisticated than ones that would be sufficient to perform well on Cipher 10, but somewhat less sophisticated than would be required for image. Net. Additionally, Cipher 10 and image net models tend to be evaluated approximately 1 to 10 times per second, while B vision appears to have a temporal resolution of approximately 50 to 200 frames per second. Based on the size of models that achieve high performance on these respective datasets, that would suggest that architectures which run on between approximately 1E7 and approximately 1E10 flop, subsecond could compete with B vision. My median estimate for the total flop S of a B's brain is approximately 1E9 flop S, and my understanding from Paul is that greater than equals 10% of the neurons in a B's brain deal with visual processing. This is consistent with image recognition architectures being only slightly worse than, or similar to, the architecture of a bee's visual system. As with judgments about priors, I think judgments about model impressiveness or task sophistication are particularly likely to be different for different people. I do not necessarily think readers should place much weight on my or Paul's estimates, 
and should potentially lean more heavily on their priors. Distribution over flop, sub-second for a transformative model. In summary, I think considerations of priors indicate that the median estimate for model computation requirements should be somewhere between brain computation, approximately 1E15 flop, sub-second, and approximately 100M smaller, approximately 1E14 flop, sub-second. Empirical evidence from comparing non-AI technologies to their natural analogs, and from comparing insect visual systems to image recognition models, seem to suggest that we should expect model architectures to be worse than brain architectures by approximately 1 to 3 OOM. An intuitive examination of less easily comparable capabilities makes me inclined to believe that our architectures are unlikely to be too much worse than a couple OOM. The evidence feels thin enough and murky enough that it seems reasonable to rely substantially on our priors. I represented my uncertainty over the number of orders of magnitude larger or smaller I expect current model compute requirements to be for a transformative model, compared to my estimate for the brain as a log-normal distribution with a mean of 100M larger and a standard deviation of 200M, the choice of this standard deviation is informed by my beliefs about algorithmic progress, see this discussion for an explanation. Incorporating this, the resulting subjective distribution over transformative model flop, Sub-second looks like this, shown along with the distribution over human brain flop S for comparison. Guide to the rest of the report. Part 2 reviews what ML theory, scaling experiments, and observational evidence imply about how training data requirements scale with model size, how I arrive at subjective probability distributions over the scaling exponent and constant K, and how I think about effective horizon length. These estimates are used to estimate training flop requirements for the genome anchor hypothesis and the three neural network hypotheses. Part 3 goes into more detail on the six biological anchors hypotheses and how I estimate the combined 2020 training flop requirements distribution. Part 4 goes into more detail on my forecasts for algorithmic progress, willingness to spend on computation, and hardware prices, and how they combine to form an estimate of when the amount of computation required to train a transformative model may become affordable. I also address several common questions and objections, which I will describe below. Responses to questions and objections. In Part 4, I address the following high-level questions and objections to this framework. Does this framework assume that transformative AI is hardware bottlenecked? More? What if training data or training environments will not be available by the time the requisite computation is available, or the computation to run training environments exceeds the computation to train the model? More? What if training a transformative model would take too much wall clock time even if the computation is available? More? Is there a risk of selection bias if we're extrapolating training data requirements from existing ML problems, because we are more likely to have solved tasks with ML when the scaling behavior is favorable, more? The extrapolation of willingness to spend assumes continuous growth, but what if there is another AI winter causing spending to stop rising or to drop, more? Would the biological anchors approach generate the same estimates for training flop requirements at all points in the past, even though algorithmic progress means that each year should be different, more? How could we test the predictions of the biological anchors framework and potentially falsify it? More? How applicable is this model if transformative AI arrives by a very different path, for example via distributed automation or through a new paradigm? More? Instead of using biological anchors, why not simply directly gauge how capable or impressive AI systems are and extrapolate this progress forward? More? This was part one of Forecasting TAI with Biological Anchors, published by IAA Kotra. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.